All right. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast with Cody Rich. Uh, today's episode is something that we did back in 2019. Jade and I recorded this episode, and it was kind of the initial thought behind the going from 101 to 201. And it was based on a lot of conversations I was having with Jaden. And fast forward, I don't know what, three years later. And now I created a course that's my four-step system to becoming a 201 elk hunter. And this comes from doing hundreds of elk podcasts. So if you guys are interested in that system, uh, you can go purchase it and take the course. It's really short. I even made an audio-only version because if you're like me, you don't have time to watch a bunch of videos. So I created the the audio version, but there's a ton of great content. And it's basically the system that I've developed through doing hundreds of interviews with the best elk hunters in the world and 20 years of screwing it up myself. So, uh, it's pretty, pretty straightforward and and simple. And I think, um, it's a great framework, even if you're not at the 201 level yet, it's a great framework to build off of. And it breaks it into a four-step system that's easy to understand and manage. So if you're interested, go check it out. It's, uh, on link will be in the show notes, but it's course.therichoutdoors.net. Um, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Let me know, give me some feedback and also go leave this podcast review. Thank you guys. So Jaden, Jaden was on the podcast last year. We did uh, kind of a segment that was like hunting on a college budget. Uh, and since then, which was pretty good. Uh, we had a lot of feedback on that. Uh, since then, Jaden's now full time with me uh, and kicking ass, taking names. And uh, I think a lot of people who deal with backcountry fuel have probably talked to you and things like that. So uh, Jaden's like full time. So I, we were talking about kind of doing a podcast of going from 101 to 201. Um but essentially, we just wanted to hit record on a pretty standard workday conversation that Jaden and I would have. So like all of the topics that we're going to discuss today, we almost discussed this week, but we're like, wait, don't do that. We're going to save it for the podcast. So that's kind of where I'm thinking it's going to go. Is that what you were thinking, Jaden? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. I uh, I am like kind of over analytical about like, gear and tactics and I like waffle back and forth between my plans for next fall and uh every time I end up like waffling or trying to like overanalyze something I end up talking to you about it and usually I can get it set straight but I'm realizing that there's like this gap from going from 101 of just getting outdoors like you know coming out west for the first time and then there's a gap with 301 which is like your trophy hunting the guys who are killing 180 inch deer or 350 inch bulls Um, and I'm somewhere in between, you know, I've been hunting like my whole life, but I'm not consistent. So I figured this could be helpful to kind of bridge that gap. For sure. And like, dude, that's a great way of putting it. It's like the, it's a one-on-one to two-on-one because we do spend a lot of time talking 301, I think on this podcast, which is probably over some people's heads and it's really good. But like I, I do, given the the number of questions you and I get, um, based on a lot of things, I think there's probably a need for some of that 201 level content. Yeah, for sure. And like some of the stuff that we talked about on our last podcast about hunting on a college budget, it definitely covers like how to get out and make sure you're getting out as your number one, number one priority. Um, but then like once you are getting time in the field, like there are other things that you need to do to always be like improving. And that's kind of where I'm stuck. Otherwise you can, you know, be in that 90% who gets their, you know, fills their tag every couple three, four, five years, um, which is where I feel like I'm at right now. So I'm trying to make that next. <laughs> what did, what did, didn't you tell me this is the year of the elk? Like you're going to kill an elk with your bow? Yes, this is the year of the elk. Um, I have been within bow range a half dozen times. I have released an arrow twice and have watched two buddies release arrows and miss in the last like four years. So it's just got to happen. Like, like eventually lightning will strike. <laughs> dude it's not lightning strike come on it's like you just gotta put consistent ever if you could look back like what what do you think is the reason that you haven't been successful say the last two or three years is it just Man, number of time because i think it, like a lot of it blows yeah. out of time right yeah well and you know some of it oftentimes it comes down to so in 2017 we were in elk all the time and we were kind of doing the cat road shuffle type tactics and it was really good I honestly, like my physical fitness level wasn't there. Like this uh, dude from, he's actually a customer service rep at First Light. 
he like pointed out these elk. Um, we were in a wilderness area and he pointed out these elk like two ridges over and was like, Hey, that bull is, you know, rutting hard, go get him." And I was like, sweet, you know, and I get halfway and I'm like gassed. And <laughs> I was watching these elk like run away from me. And I'm like, ah, I just can't like it literally I was, I like didn't have any food that with me. Um, and I was just like bonking and I was gassed. So I, I turned back down and that was like a huge turning point for me being like, all right, I'm going to take this, this shit seriously. Um, Is that why you've been hitting mountain tough so hard this year? Oh God. Yeah. 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 And that, like, actually just in, you know, a couple days a week, I've been trying to get as much, um, hiking in, um, as I can. And so like I did four miles today after work between work and now, um, and just really trying to do that as much as possible. Cause dude, I'm never going to let that happen again. <laughs> so you're saying that physical fitness is a factor in elk hunting. Oh man. Like, oh, so the other thing of it is, so, and that was 17 and that was obviously a huge factor for me. I could literally see the elk and I gave up on getting closer to him because I was just like, I can't get there. <laughs> it was also partially, it was, you know, it was one of those things where you talk yourself out of it. You're like, I don't want to walk back in the, in the dark. And I'm like, looking back, like that was totally not a valid reason. Yeah. Um, and then this last year in 2018, I was hunting with my, my dad in Idaho and we did like an, a nice 10 mile day the first day. And then he was so sore after that day that we had to cut it back to like three and four mile days or, you know, just because he was so sore, he couldn't really get around that well. And that was a huge hindrance. So I'm just like, that that's not going to be, that's not an option for uh, a reason to not kill an elk next year. Do you think that this is not like a total sales pitch for mountain tough, but like, do you think that the whole mountain tough course has made you like more mentally tough as far as like what you'll push yourself now this year? Oh yeah. 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 I don't think I've ever been in this good a shape. Um, maybe when I was like in wrestling in high school, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, no, I've never been in this tough, a uh, mental or physical shape. It's pretty, it's been pretty killer. All right. I'm no stoking. excuses then, man. No excuses. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. And, and that's kind of like part of the 201 level that I'm thinking about is like, these are the gaps where like, if you're at 101, you can always find an excuse of like, Oh, there's too many people or, um, you know, the weather wasn't good or this thing or that thing happened. But to get to that consistency level, there's never going to be any excuses. Like someone, um, not to pump your own tires up, but like you're going to kill an elk every year that's just how it goes. You know what I mean? I think it takes a bit of confidence too. Like, I think it's easy to talk yourself out of this. Ryan and I have had this conversation quite a bit. It's like, you know, when you're, you're young, like you just don't know what you don't know. And you, you think you're tough, but like maybe physically you're tough, but like mentally it's so easy. To, you'll be easier to talk yourself out of things at that level. Cause you just don't have the confidence and the experience. And so like, you know, someone like myself is, I don't know. I thought that I've been around a long time. Like, I don't want to say that, but like when you've been in enough situations, you gain a little bit of confidence, right? You gain a little confidence each time. And I'm sure there's people that are far more confident than I am, but at the same time, like, you know, you're going to, you're going to be more confident and you're not going to talk yourself out of those situations. Like, you know, when you kind of in a shitty situation, you're going to have to hike back in the dark and like, like, ah, you know, all it takes is like one little sway one way, you know, like, uh, we're on the, round table podcast where you're talking about how there's a little guy on, on each of your shoulders and like, you're listening to both of them. You're like, ah, should I go? Should I not go? And man, it can be so easy to like find excuses, right? Like, like ah, well, I did, I'm out of water, so I probably shouldn't go. Like, whereas mm -hmm. like you get a little experience and you're like, well, I probably won't die. So I better go. So like, you know, like you just like, ah, I've made it out of this before. Like yeah, I've been in this situation before. And I think confidence really plays a a big piece of success is like once you've killed a couple things with your bow, and this is why I'm such an advocate for just putting stuff down. Like, don't be like, Oh, I got to get a six point for my first stuff. Like, man, just shoot stuff. Cause like you'll gain confidence. That's going to just blow the doors off your hunting skills. Because once you have that confidence, it changes everything and the mind. And I think it just changes the mindset and, and the ability to push yourself farther and farther. And like, it's just going to grow off that and feed off that. Yeah, man, that's exactly what I kind of the approach I took last fall um, with that antelope tag. I could have shot that antelope 
with uh, a rifle in the later season in Wyoming. But I just knew, like, I was like, okay, I freaking need to build some confidence with my spot and stock abilities. And so I just pounded it over and over and over again. And, you know, sure enough, 26 stocks later, like, it pans out. But <laughs> It took you 26 but, stocks? Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. <laughs> it's uh, it's all in my Instagram stories, too, for proof. Because I, <laughs> I was like, no one's going to believe this. Uh <laughs> But, you know, and then when it comes together, you're like, dude, I'm, I'm, I've got my A game on, you know, and you're like, it's, it's a difference uh, for sure. So what would you like, honestly speaking here, going into 2019 archery elk season, where's your confidence level at on a one to 10 scale? Oh, dude, I bet you it's a, look, so I always like to over hype myself. You can't start this conversation with a butt. (laughs) I overhype myself and say like I will kill or when I kill or when I punch my tag next year. Um, but in all honesty, it's probably like at a six. That's interesting. I just know I'm going to, I know I'm going to spend enough time that I'm going to get opportunities like that part. I'm it's fine. I don't worry about that. I was glassing up elk uh, an hour ago because I want to make sure I know where they're at and where they're going. Did you've been hitting it hard too. Like you've been out all the time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's just I'm not going to allow there to be any excuses and for me not to fill the tag. So yeah. that's just kind of it's not like failure is not really an option in my opinion. Yeah. Even though I'm not that confident in my abilities, I know it's going to happen. <laughs> no, like I and I think it's funny cuz like when you when I go into season and that bow hits my hand and like it's op- the season is open, it's like it's go time. Man, I am I don't want to like sound airy. It's like you're on top of the world. You're like, it's go time. This is my game. Like you're walking into the home stadium and like ACDC is playing and you're just ready to rock it. Like that's what's (laughs) going. Like you're just like, it's game time. You know, mother effort, like, let's go, let's do this. Uh, And you know, like that's just, I think it takes a little bit of experience and confidence and like, okay, this is going to happen, man. Today's the day. Today's the day. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that like I uh, have been hitting the hills hard close to home because I want to make sure that that on opening day, I'm going to know exactly where the deer are and know exactly where the elk are um, and be able to make a play based on the information I've gathered. So, you know, I was glassing up, I glassed up my first uh, uh, button buck of the year, like last Saturday. So I'm like, sweet, antlers are coming in. Um, like I'll be able to start finding out where their summer range is at. And then, um, you know, we can go from there, but same with elk, you know, cause that first of September set transition time. And I'm not so sure, um, exactly how I'm going to start my season, but I know it's going to be started with elk in, in close proximity. You know, and that's one thing you and I've talked about is like, I, I think at the, the stage you're at to get to that 201 level and there's, there's a lot to be said for being able to close or hunt close to home because, you know, there's maybe there's like Jaden's in Wyoming. So maybe it's somewhere in Wyoming, there's better spots, right? Like you could go, maybe go on the thoroughfare and blah, blah, blah. But like, you're just not going to get the scout time. And I think all that scouting is going to help you. Like if you're hunting close to home to where you can scout on the weekdays, you know, you went scouting tonight after work and you're like, okay, I know these elk, like, man, like when season comes, the confidence level is going to be higher. And so I think that adds to it when you, we can hunt close to home. Um, I think going from that, you know, one, we've called one-on-one to two-on-one, you know, yeah, maybe there's a better hunt across the state, but at the same time, like how much confidence do you have in that area in your backyard? And, you know, I think a lot of people like myself who just grew up doing this, we didn't have an option. Like we hunted close to the house cause we we're just always in the Hills. You're always there. Um, and so maybe some of it has, you know, the, the effect of like, Hey, I, I grew up in an area that was close to a lot of elk and that gave me a lot more opportunity, but that's where, you know, you cut your teeth and you're there all the time, you know, day in and day out every weekend and you build that confidence and then you start killing critters in that in that comfort zone in that area, you know, because you're scouting it all freaking season or all freaking year. And then you start killing animals. Then you could start taking that confidence and being like, okay, how do I push out? How do I go to other States? Whereas, you know, you going to Idaho this year may not be the best because you just don't have the confidence in the area. You don't have all the confidence in going out of state or going on these other hunts and doing those things. So I think that's huge to hunt close to home. 
Yeah, man. And if I was like, so last fall, I kind of chalked it up as like a great experience with my dad. If that wasn't going to factor in, um, I only live like 30 miles from the Colorado border. And, and, you know, being able to hit that every weekend, chasing elk, I think, you know, there's obviously you create way more opportunities that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're in a sweet spot. You can hunt Colorado with your archery tag and save and, you know, maybe tag out, go hunt archery for Wyoming or you can save your rifle tag. Like there's tons of options there. I mean, you're proximity to two really good elk areas. Yeah. But that's one thing that I, you know, I know I've mentioned to you earlier is like, I don't want to have too many tags in my pocket because <laughs> then I'm just burnt. Then I'm just, you're just wasting money if you're not filling tags. Like at that point, Dude, I you're mean, really, as long as you're you're really have... analytical about that, like wasting tags. Oh, like gosh. I had 17 last year, which granted, 10 of those are cow doe tags, which I only have because, you know, I get a bunch of doe tags and an extra cow tags or whatever, because if I don't, I I don't want the pressure of filling the freezer to land on antler season. And I'd rather be like, well, at the end of the day, I can go fill five doe tags from, you know, two, two cow tags if I get desperate or whatever. But I don't know. Like, like it's just too much on. Like I know that was eating at you last year. You had too many tags. And then it was like, you started not filling them. And like, that was getting in your head. Like, like a guy's golf game oh, or man. something. You were like, God, I've already not filled two tags. <laughs> like, I think it just starts yeah. eating at you. Oh, totally. And yeah, I mean, that's what it comes down to when we're so, okay. So this is something I wanted to hit on. When you talk about buying tags, not gear, I think that is a very solid, like one-on-one level approach. Like you need to be out in the woods and you need to have tags in your pocket, but at some level you run out of time, man. Like you can't, you can't have too, or you can have too many tags and not be able to spend enough time to actually have good experiences with each tag. Yeah. 100% agree. I couldn't agree more. And you know, a lot of people get mixed up when I say buy tags, not gear, like my, my point of that is buy experiences over things. And I don't care if that's like a new truck or it's like hunting gear. Like obviously it's pretty hard to kill an elk in archery season if you don't have a bow. Like I get it. Like my it's just like this overarching thing that I say buy experiences. And granted, that can be a negative. Like you said, if you have too many, like the weight of those is too many. Um, you know, one of the things I do, so I will prioritize tags. And so if I have tags that overlap each other, which happens often, uh, I will say this is the priority. So if it's not done by X date, then I'm going to leave this unit and go there. And it's not like the decision is made. And so like you do it beforehand because I used to get two tags and like, yeah, we'll see how it goes. You know, if this hunt's going good, maybe, but then you waffle and you're like trying to make those decisions and it's weighing on you. And that's where you get into this, like too many tags. And you're like, ah, I should be here, but I could be there. I should be doing this, mm-hmm. whatever. But you know, if you set hard lines, you're okay. I'm going to hunt this till the 10th. And you know, this, uh, antelope tag in Wyoming is my priority. So the 10th, if I am not into elk or whatever, and I don't know why I would leave an elk unit to go an antelope unit, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like if I'm not into elk, then I'm, I'm picking up and I'm going to this unit and this is what I'm going to do. Um, and you know, I mean, not everyone has the, the ability to get that much time off and things like that, but I think it's like about setting hard deadlines too. Yeah. I'd say that's, that's gotta be a huge part. I think a big part of my, like, um, where I was overanalyzing how many, I only ate, Okay, I guess I ate three of four tags last year. But the idea being that I had plenty of time to fill them as well. And I wasn't like, it just, I wasn't putting enough time into one single thing. I had like a whitetail doe tag here close to the house that it was, a, it was only like 30 bucks or something, right? Yeah. But, you know, if I'd have, I, I wouldn't be buying chicken right now if I would have actually... <laughs> put more time into that than, than driving it over to Nebraska and trying to chase mule deer bucks with my bow, you know? Well, what was the decision on that? Cause like, I, I remember that being, um, some kind of contention. Cause you were asking me, you're like, man, should I go to this Nebraska hunt? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, just freaking do it. Like go. What was, what was the, I don't remember. Why were you hesitant on that? Cause you had, a oh, do- I mean, it, yeah, just cause I had the doe tag in my pocket. I was like, oh, I don't want, I need to just fill this tag, you know? And, and which I'm super glad looking back that I went to Nebraska because I got, oh, 
at least eight stocks in in the six days that I was chasing bucks and like that whole experience in itself just gives you more I feel like it gives me gave me some really valuable experience so that I can enter because I hunted that up until the end of December it gives me a good experience coming into next year of being like dude I I'm getting this thing dialed in you know yeah and I mean granted like there's those are two different experiences right you're going out of state and you're going to an area you've never been to trying to hunt bucks for six days. That's far different than shooting a whitetail in your backyard. I got nothing against shooting whitetails in the backyard, but it's a different experience, right? Yeah, there's way more adventure in it, you yeah. know? So, and that was the other, it was, gosh, it was super cool that we went out there. Also, I, so I've seen a lot of people asking, like, uh, if they're coming from out east on, like, rock slide. Like, oh, what's rifle season in Nebraska like? Let me just tell you, is something akin to World War II, um, <laughs> it, like on the beaches of Normandy, is ridiculous. Uh, I watched three bucks die on opening morning because I was like, oh, I'm going to go with my bow, you know, it's in the rut. And <laughs> that was a terrible idea. So did just you, for anybody. Did you not take a gun? No, because it, like, it was like another $500 for the tag. So uh, I was like, hey, screw it. <laughs> Oh, well, it's a good experience, man. Um, so one of the things that I am looking at, so this is this is good um, because right now I'm looking at where I actually am going to start my hunting on September 1st next year. September 1st is kind of, it seems to me like it's an awkward start for some places for uh, hunting elk just because you can get some rutting action, but then you have some bulls who are still in their summer patterns and you don't really have like a, it's not like chasing bucks in August where you know they're going to be in their summer patterns and like that's what you do. You yeah. know what I mean? So how would you um, approach uh, either spotting stock elk or chasing elk in the timber and trying to get them fired up that first week of September? Well, I mean, it depends on how much time your boss is going to give you off, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh which no, I like, I look at it as like, I don't prioritize it, but I also don't shy away from it. You know, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be like my first choice to hunt the opening week unless in, in your case where you're like, I'm scouting this, I'm going to know it. I'm going to know where elk are. So there's, that's a huge benefit, right? Like you're going to know where the elk are going and what they're doing. And so I would expect that by opening day, you're going to be like, man, here's a herd that they're, they're doing this. There's probably going to be like a small bull, like a, a decent six, right? Like there's probably gonna be a small six hanging around the herd all the elk are going to be kind of close. It's like maybe not kickoff rut, but there might be like a good 260, 270 bull hanging around, which you should shoot. Um, and, and there's going to be elk around there. So just knowing what the herd dynamic is doing is huge, right? So mm -hmm. it, like I, I expect because you're, you're local, you'll know that. So going in there, obviously, I don't think you'll do much calling, but just getting close to that herd and kind of basically uh, dogging that herd and trying to figure out what they're doing or try to get in front of them or, you know, try to just get a shot. If they're moving slow through the timber, maybe you can come up from behind, um, get close, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's, these are all things that you can do. And the benefit is that you're going to know this herd, where they're going, what they're doing. And so by that time, and you should be following those cows, you shouldn't be like, hey, where's the biggest bull on the mountain? Um, because he's going to come to those cows uh, eventually. So if you were targeting a big bull, now this conversation changes completely. If you're like, man, I only want to kill a 350 bull. I'm like, cool. September 1st is probably not the time to go look for him next to the cows. But if you're like, Hey, I want to just kill an elk and I want to get a good bull, you know, good representation with my bow, then you need to be dogging that herd because they're, the bulls are going to come and there's going to be bulls there to mm -hmm. be honest with you. It's just a matter of knowing exactly what they're doing. So when you're talking about dog in the herd, are you um, saying you would try to slip in there close and like cow call or anything like that? Or is it most mostly just like a spot and stock with a lot of eyes around and you're just trying to get in there at the right opportunity? A lot of variables there. Um, it could go either yeah. way. Uh, if it's, you know, fairly open timber and they're moving and they're kind of talking, like it just depends on where I hit them. So if like, say the, they're going down to this field and like, it's like, this is the best case, like atypical 
uh, scenario, right? They're going down to some field or some open area and they're feeding here and then they're working their way back up and they're betting here. Uh, midday, they're getting up and they're feeding, right? So mm-hmm. if they're coming back up out of the field or out of whatever they're feeding at, I might like try to, you know, intercept them. And when I say dogging them, I'm like, I'm just following. I probably wouldn't make any cow noises until I needed to. Um, I'm just going to, you know, kind of cruise along. And it depends, right? Like, uh, am I... Am I, does the herd have one bull that I'm going after that, I mean, yeah, he's a technically a herd bull at that point, but it's obviously probably not very big September 1st. That could be, you know, completely wrong. Who knows? But most cases, like there's going to be a bull in there that's kind of a younger, but mature bull. He thinks he's running a herd right now. And there's probably some satellites. So if I go in there and I'm like, man, I'll kill any of those satellites, then I'm just going to get close to that herd and I probably will do some cow calling because I'm going to be like, Hey, there's a cow over here. That's not with the herd and some satellites going to come. But if I'm like, oh, I kind of want to, you know, it's it's opening day. I got a little bit of time. I might try to go after, you know, that herd bull, quote unquote. Um, and so I'm just going to basically follow that herd and mm-hmm. parallel them upwind. Um, so I'm not winding them and just kind of just see how it plays out. You know, when you cow call, you're basically like, hey, something's going to happen or not happen. And if I had put in all summer knowing that herd's pattern, I'm probably not just going to give it up on a cow call like that. Now, if the bull's right there and I just need him to stop or something, that's when you'd use a cow call. If you were far enough away from the herd uh, and you kind of didn't know where they were and you're like, hey, let's see if I can call on a satellite. You know, I would only cow call if it wasn't going to screw up the greater plan of the herd's movement being what it is every single day. Gotcha. So would you um, – is there a difference in your mind between chasing elk who are – like coming up into the alpine and feeding in an alpine meadow and going back down versus something that's in the in the lower country that's coming out into like sagebrush flats with grass and then going back into dark timber up. Like, are we talking elk behavior or in tactics? Uh, yeah, both. I mean, so basically, my thought process is I could hunt elk kind of on the edge of the prairie, right at the bottom of the hill, or mm-hmm. you can hunt elk at the very top of the mountain. Um, where there's the most feed right there in the Alpine. I've kind of got both opportunities. Is there any difference in approach when you're looking at like high Alpine elk versus like lower country elk? Yeah. Most high Alpine elk, like they don't go down a whole lot. They usually go like laterally. Uh, oh. Maybe they will, but the the thermals, with the thermals, they're not going to like push the wind at their back going down into something that they don't know. Um, generally speaking, now there's exceptions to every rule, but you know, most of the Alpine elk I've seen are high, high end elk. They'll, they'll like move around a mountain or around into some thick stuff. Um, and then maybe they'll drop down, uh, a little bit through the thick stuff, but kind of depends on thermals. And usually they like to play those thermals. So you can do it either way. Um, I mean, either one's going to work. It's just a little bit different tactic. There's gonna be a lot more climbing (laughs) when you're, uh, when you have, you know, the, the elk above you. And then it, it gets tough because like when, what happens is like you're playing, you're, you're watching those thermals. And so you're like limited amount of time. Right. Um, so one of the hard parts with dog and a herd going back to bed is most of the time you can't keep up. Uh, that may be a benefit, you know, on lowland elk where you can kind of keep up, but the, some of the big mountain elk, it's really hard to keep up in that country. So one of the problems I always run into, and I, this is why I don't like dog and herds when they're going back to bed is they tend to be faster than you can be. And they also, uh, the wind or the thermal. So when that sun comes up and it hits that face, it just messes everything up. So you're like, you're running against the clock, man. You're just, you're like, ah, I, can, I might be able to get there. I might be able to get there. Like, go, go, go. And so you, you see that. I mean, I run into that a lot where I'm like watching the sun hit the bank, you know, and like all of a sudden the, the sun line's coming down. This year, uh, in that podcast, I did, well, when I recorded myself, uh, there was when I called in a bull. I think it was when I called that one into like 10 feet, but that was one of those scenarios where the, the elk just kept going up and up and up. And I was, it was race against time because that sun, I could see the sun on the hill coming down and down and down. And I knew as soon as that sun got to where we were, it's just going to swirl everything and it'll just kind of swirl there for a bit. Uh, so that's, it's always race against time and thermals really. And so that's why a lot of guys don't like to hunt elk going back to bed. They'd rather just be like, okay, this is where they're going. I'll meet them there. 
later when things level out because you just have that mix up man when the sun hits and you got thermals going down and then the sun hits it and it's trying to go up but it's gonna it's not just an instant change you know it's gonna swirl there for a bit oh that makes sense so it's almost easier to give yourself more opportunity or more time to slip in if you've got like a prevailing wind obviously i'm in wyoming so if i'm out in like some lower country there's usually just generally speaking, there's a prevailing yeah. wind coming out of the south. Uh, let's see, that'd be the southwest. Totally. Um, and that might be more predictable than trying to wait on a thermal. For sure. You know, and, and that's the thing about, you know, evening hunts. A lot of those guys, a lot of guys like evenings or afternoons, t- elk tend to move slower, right? So what happens is, man, at daylight comes, those elk, boom, they're going to bed. So they move real quick. But when they get up, they're usually milling around there for a little bit and they tend to, you know, it just depends. Like there's always a million variables here, but generally speaking as a whole elk moves slower out from bed to where they're going. And so you have two factors. You have elk are moving slower and wind is moving faster. Those are both good things, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've killed a few bulls right there daylight, but I, it's either for me, it's either you ride at daylight or I'll, I'll just wait. Okay. That actually, that's really helpful. Obviously I'm going to, you know, it depends on where I find elk, but, um, so like this afternoon when I was up on the mountain, there were three different herds that were kind of out in the low country that I was, I've not seen yet. And I was like, Oh, you know, that's another option if they stay anywhere near there or even just go up into the Hills a little further from there. So, yeah, I mean, they should be like, should be, I I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I don't know. Give, you can't, I mean, it's like so hard to be like, oh, this is what that elk does. I don't, who knows? You know, a lot of yeah. different things. Yeah. Well, and especially we're early enough, you know, I was getting snowed on this afternoon. So mm-hmm. you're going to find, I, I would imagine they're going to ride a lot of that green up, up the hill, huh? I, I don't know, man. <laughs> like, I, I mean, you, you think, but then again, like it's, there's always elk near ag fields. Like they're always in the rolling hill country. You know, and like one thing to watch this summer is like, as you watch that mountain, you're probably going to, I would tend to think, I always say elk like to fuck on level ground, um, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> it makes sense. But I think someone the old time we told me that. But like most of the time breeding grounds are not up high. You know, there's always the exception, but like, man, I found a lot of the breeding grounds is like in that rolly country. Um like, I don't know. It just, it makes sense to me. So you, what I would keep an eye out for is like, if you get four or five different herds in that rolling country and there's two herds up high, you know, that it's probably better if I'm just an opportunity hunter and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to kill an elk. Obviously where there's four herds of elk is probably a better opportunity. Right. And yeah. elk are harder to kill on steep, nasty country. They just are like, that's where you get thermals, you know? <laughs> When you're down in the rolly country, you get solid breaks, you get solid winds. And when you're in the flats, you get even better winds. And so when you're in the more, the farther you go up in the steeper, nasty stuff, like the worse the winds get. I mean, the elk might not get messed with as much, but I think when it comes down to just putting elk on the ground, it's going to be easier in rolling country. Gotcha. I guess that also goes back to the whole thing. Like, I remember you telling me um, probably a year ago or so now, like, I was telling you where I was hunting in the Eagle caps and you're like, and it was like, you know, 1500 to 1700 foot climb to start the day. And, you know, anytime you're starting with that much elevation change, you're already just putting yourself behind the eight ball as far as your physical abilities go to that. And it's like, you know, how much ground can you cover? And it's tough because the guys mm-hmm. like me will go into the backcountry, you know, miles and miles and miles and hunt stupid, steep stuff. But what we're looking for is different than what you're looking for. And, and what you're, what you need is opportunity. You need numbers. You need, it's a numbers game. You need more at bats. Like you're never going to be a great hitter if you don't get at bats. Like you can't just be like, Oh, I want to hit home runs. So I'm only going to hit perfect pitches. Like you got to have at bats and you got to, you know, swing. Um, and so like the more opportunities you can get and you get in that rolling country, like you can just cover so much ground, man. And this is kind of like Jade and I were talking about different spots, um, and kind of e-scouting stuff. And I'm like, man, this spot here. And Jade's like, yeah, but there's all kinds of roads. I'm like, man, that's perfect. There's opportunities around every corner. And, you know, maybe you get there and there's a million people. I just, you know, I don't see it, but I think the 
biggest thing to my learning curve was at bats. You know, I hunted places that were not super back country, but it gave me at bats. And the problem with being in steep country and or back country is your at bats is like you, you swing and you miss. You're like, oh, cool. Now I got to climb 2000 feet to find these stupid elk again. And it's going to be five to six hours before I even locate them again. Like mm-hmm. it's just not, man, you just don't get enough at bats like that. Gotcha. So, um, when I was looking at some of these areas to elk hunt, basically I had it divided between like roadless area. We had roads that, you know, I have to get boots on the ground to verify this, but roads that may or may not be shut off. And then you had like a wilderness area, um, where there's a road along the outside of it. And my thought process being like, well, you're going to probably just because this is a specific case of Wyoming, you're going to get away from non-residents if you pop into the wilderness. Yeah. But you don't necessarily want to go. So what I'm gathering from what you're saying is you don't necessarily want to backpack into the wilderness because that is limiting your at bats. If you are just running on your feet. Yeah. You know, wilderness is good uh, for you because you're a resident and that means you're going to have less pressure overall automatically. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. And, I guess take that what I said about not backpacking in with a grain of salt, because if, if it was like some wilderness flat top with rollies and, and it looked like you could cover a lot of ground and there's like a lot of nooks and crannies, I'm all for that. But if it's like the equal caps where you got to climb 2000 feet to get to the next basin, I, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, so there's a couple variations there, right? Like if you, if you're going to say, Hey, there's a road around the Southern end of this wilderness and I can, I can basically hike in all these different spots. Uh, I'm totally game. And, you know, and that's where, that's a good case. Um, I had this conversation the other day about this kid, uh, was going to go hunting and he's like, Oh, I just want to, you know, get back there and set up camp and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, man, that particular case, I would probably just be like, you know, on the fly, I would basically have a small tent with me and sleep wherever it got dark because I, I'm looking to cover ground. And so when you're, if you don't know an area, you're like, oh man, this could be good. I don't really know. Like it's, it's important to stay mobile. And that's, you know, one of the big things I harp to you is like, Hey, hunt places where you can stay mobile. And I don't care if you got to mm-hmm. hike in three miles down the, you're like, Hey, this Ridge, I'm going to run it and I'm going to locate off this Ridge, you know, it's solid timber, blah, blah. I get to hear, I can glass these two basins for a day and I'm going to boogie out of there. If there's nothing cool, I'm all for that. And then if you're like, man, there's elk all over in here, sweet hike back to the truck. It's only three miles, grab your, you know, camp set up, however you want to do it and hike your ass back in there and set up camp. If, if that works, you know? And so like, there's a lot of options and that's why I think it's important. You know, when you at the truck, I have everything plus two kitchen sinks because you never know what scenario you're going to end up in. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, something else that I was thinking about, you know how we were talking about, basically you, you can go into the thoroughfare and chase three fifty bulls. Yeah. You, you know, or you could go just out your back door and figure it out. Another thing that I was thinking about as far as like, um, those same trophy units go, do you feel like a, like a trophy unit will provide you with more opportunity to stumble onto something big? Or is it still something where you need to kind of have varsity level tactics to, to turn up those bigger animals? Um, there's a lot of variables there, you know, a trophy, I don't know the thoroughfare, so I don't really know, but like if, uh, yeah, so it's, it's really let's hard Montana. to say. Let's say, Mon- yeah, let's say Montana or like a Montana or an Idaho or. I'm going to use Oregon because I know Oregon better, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah do that. So, you know, if you talk about the top three units, you know, the Mount Emily's, the Walla Walla or like, you know, the Winnaha or something. If you want to talk about those, like those are going to give you more at-bats for sure. Like you're going to get into a lot of elk. The numbers are high. There is areas in Montana that may produce big bulls, but your at bats are going to be like nil. Like you may get one at bat the entire month. So there's kind of, there's a stretch, right? And I don't know what the thoroughfare looks like. Um, if I was you, I talked to a few people that worked or went work there, um, who have hunted that and say, you know, Hey, what's the opportunities look like, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, cause there's, there's trophy areas that just don't have a lot of elk, but they have great elk. Uh, and there's trophy areas that just have a 
pile of elk, so they tend to get big ones too. So there's, uh, it's hard to say, man. Like there's a lot of variables, but it wouldn't. I wouldn't be against it if you were like, you know, hey, I told, I know you're totally against uh, going to the wilderness and hiking way far in my first trip, but you know, if I go and I got my buddy, we're gonna go on a thoroughfare, and you know, you're gonna get more at bats, and cool, go for that uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying though, but like it's uh you know you listen to guys like jason carter talk about those big deer units in utah and arizona and whatever and they find big deer but not a necessarily high quality or quantity of them for sure it's going to be best to just stick with higher quantity at this stage of the game yeah and i like i'm totally for you having like your ape spot which is you out your back door and you're like i'm gonna scout this super hard and then for a week we're gonna go hike into the thoroughfare you know say you and hayden bomb off and and go somewhere that's cool like you know you have a long season and it's probably worth the adventure right like it's gonna be an adventure at at the least so you know having both of those kind of cards up your sleeve is, is totally doable okay that makes sense all right so um one of the things that you and i have talked about in the past is um what it looks like so so i'm at the level of i still haven't punched an elk tag um but i've maybe not maybe i've killed a few deer and i'm looking to kind of go to the next step right we need to get you like a less than one elk shirt (laughs) yeah yeah oh gosh i really need one which is actually very i've looked back at this and like we we have had I've literally had a depredation tag in my pocket for like a cow elk and the elk have like didn't come into on our property when that happened on the farm. You so like never like, killed just, an elk or just not with your bow? An elk. At zero. Wow. Well we I mean, always I didn't mean to say it got, like that, but wow. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, and that was one of the things like uh about Oregon. Like I've still I've never had a rifle bull elk tag in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some spike tags and then we were like, we lived in the Mount Emily unit. So we, we, you know, the whole thing was like, well, just wait until you draw out the back door. Yeah. Um, here I am still waiting to draw. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's uh, funny. <laughs> but okay. So going back to, so going back to like this, to make the transition. So, um, from looking at killing, just filling a tag to move into the next step. What do you think is the number one thing that guys or gals don't do when they're trying to up their kind of trophy quality? They're trying to up their trophy quality? Yeah. So I'm saying like, so I've killed like a, a one mid one twenties white tail and a mid one forties mule deer. And now I'm like, all right, let's take it to the next step. Right. So what does a guy, you know, elk or deer need to do to take it to that next step? I think it, this might sound like a strange answer. Like it's a, I never really thought about that question specifically in that capacity, but like, I think it happens naturally. Like, I don't think you do anything different overall. I think it just happens naturally when you're like, start looking at things a little differently. So, you know, you've killed a few bucks and you're like, okay, you know, like what's next. And so I think it's, First off, it's a time thing, so it's a numbers game and to, to some extent, but it's also like the locations. So inherently, mm-hmm. say a guy gets into hunting and he starts hunting, and all of a sudden now he's like, you know, starts out, he's like just kind of hunting from the pickup, he's doing this, and then all of a sudden it's like oh, a little bit farther, a little bit farther, which inherently like sometimes gets big bucks. Sometimes you shoot him next to pickup, who knows? But and I think it just it just happens as you naturally progress. I don't think it's like something you're like, okay, today is the day I go kill a big one. <laughs> okay. I, like I just don't. Like, I don't know. Like, uh, I think naturally you just start getting into bigger animals, and and that's the way it goes. Which is funny because like this whole like trophy thing, like why are humans obsessed with bigger antlers and things? But like, it's just a smaller portion of a population, right? So you could run into a three fifty bull the exact same. It could take zero. Uh, zero more skills to kill a 350 bull than a than a rag corn you know this year opening day it runs by you it happens all the time it's just a numbers game right like statistically mm-hmm. there's far more rag horns than there are 350 bulls and so the odds of it happening are far less now granted okay. like the things the animals do are a little bit different but you know 
when when you talk about just shit how lo- shit house luck like shit house luck happens so like to say like you're going to do something different you can hunt better areas hunt deeper hunt farther away from people you talk about age class ryan and i spent a lot of time talking about how age class is the biggest thing like trying to find where animals can get old uh obviously you know probably doesn't happen on the front range where you know people are hunting like crazy or like some popular trailheads and things like that grand anomalies happen so you know i don't know i don't know if that's the right answer but like my guess it just happens naturally (laughs) <laughs> just let it happen I mean, just let it happen okay. <laughs> well it's funny because it's one of the things like i've been i i think I, yeah i've sent you pictures of uh like elk and deer that i've seen on the winter range when they still had their headgear mm-hmm. and i'd be like dude that thing's a monster and you're like yeah i mean it's like a 300 inch bull you know and like <laughs> uh i'm like dude this thing is huge you know and and, and it's kind of that perspective shift like um uh, i picked up like a 140 inch or it was like a, a side to like a, maybe 140 inch white uh, uh, mule deer last fall and then I picked up 160 inch side of a shed like last week and I was like oh this is sweet this is way better you know yeah but growing up it was just like does it have four points oh it's dying you know <laughs> which is how you should be without you should be like six so, points it's dying I would imagine that probably has a lot to do with it <laughs> looking at yeah, just looking at more animals. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Well, and I, if you go back to the statistics, Sam, dude, like you have to, like inherently you're probably going to see a two four or a 140 buck before you see a 160 buck, and you're probably going to see a 160 before you see a 180. So if you shoot the first 140, you're probably, you're rarely going to get to 180, you know? But. Yeah. Who knows? Unless you're in, like a, unless you're in like a premium unit, <clears throat> yeah. We just means, but that just means there's more 180s. You know, it's weird when you think about it. Like when you look at a unit, you're like, man, there could not be any 180 bucks in this entire unit that I'm standing in right now. You know, or mm-hmm. you go to a premium unit, and there's like, hey, there's 15 bucks over 180 inches. Like, you just got to find one. So that's the difference gotcha. between a premium premium unit and like, uh, you know, <laughs> OTC unit for for the record. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, uh, I guess depending on where you live in the West, you have to like take into consideration, like as a Wyoming resident, we have the opportunity to hunt like the trophy units, right? Like most of, most of the big regions that people are saving up a ton of points for, we can go walk in there over the counter. Right. But that's where I guess where I was coming from is like, okay, so next year I'm not letting myself shoot. Well, this is what I say now, but not letting myself shoot a buck under 160, what's that going to take? Does that mean that I have to go to the Wyoming range or does that mean I just need to pay more attention about looking at deer here close to home? No, I uh, just- yeah, I see what you're saying. So like when you put it that way, like, yeah, it's about trying to find, well, first off, genetics play a big role. So knowing the areas that genetically hold bigger bucks, that's a huge piece of it. Um, but also outside of that, no matter where you are, it's about understanding the areas that are going to let bucks or bulls get old. Like they have to have age to get them. And like, so where is a buck, where would a buck be to not get shot for the last five, six years? Where would a bull be to not get shot for the last six, seven years? You know, things like that. So like just finding those areas and looking at and like understanding maps, understanding terrain. And sometimes that's not the, the farthest place. Sometimes it is, you know, but that's like what I think Ryan is really good at is being able to pick apart a map and be like, uh, old buck is going to be here. Like, boom. And he'll get there and there. It's like, like he just knows maps inside and out like that. Okay. So you're saying, yeah. So you're saying it's more about just knowing what you're looking for than it is yeah. <laughs> necessarily, uh, holding out for a big trophy unit or whatever it's all of it dude i mean yeah you gotta know what you're looking for you gotta hold out you gotta be in areas with right genetics and you gotta have a little bit of luck the you know and you gotta have the you know skills to be patient and like all these things so like it's all pieces of it like you could know right where a buck stands but if you're a terrible hunter you're probably still not gonna kill him so you know Mm -hmm. or you could be (laughs) you could be like man a buck could get to be a hundred years old right here, but there's no deer in that unit, then you're probably not going to see a big buck, you know? Right. Yeah. So it's like, there's a lot of variables to it. So how much, so this is something else that like, I'm 
thinking about when I'm looking at making this get this transition from, you know, maybe being able to fill a tag with deer, um, to like maybe looking at an older age class, how much of that do you think comes down to starting to upgrade your gear? Like I shoot my grandpa's 270, um, was it Revington 700 with a three by nine power scope that it doesn't even have a name brand on it. Like, I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, it kills stuff, you know, but like at what level do you need to start upgrading your, your equipment to upgrade also your level of success? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like there's plenty of people that do it with, you know, old two seventies. Now granted, are you going to be more efficient with a gun? Like you can just lay down and shoot a buck at 550 yards. Yeah, obviously, you know, like it just, you know, equipment does play a role in it. And as much as I say, you know, buy tags, not gear, like having good equipment can be the difference. I, I don't think it's always the difference, but I think it definitely can be, um, you know, I see a lot of people buy nice gear and it builds their confidence to stay out longer and do that. I really hate that excuse of like, Oh, you know, this gear makes you stay out longer. Like you could put me in effing blue jeans and a denim jacket and I'm going to stay out there. Like that's not going to be the deal. But for some people it is, you know, they're like, man, I got all the high speed gear. Like I can stay out there longer. And so there's probably a mental aspect to it. Um, and I think the same was with guns and, you know, and optics and things like that. Like if you're confident in your gear and you're like, man, I got the best of the best. There's probably a mental side to that for sure. Like, I think it, you know, adds to your confidence. And I mean, as far as like the rifle, yeah, obviously I think if you, you know, upgrade a rifle and scopes and things like that and be able to see it low lights and be able to, you know, get on a buck and shoot it within seconds, you know, having the confidence in your rifle, that's a huge piece of it too. Okay. So it's, it's as much of it as it, much of it is mental. Uh, you think like as anything at some level, like, like, I do you know me. Like, get, I think most of life is yeah. mental. So, so like, yeah, like true. I just know old timers, they could shoot an open sight 30, 30 better than most guys can shoot a, a scoped 30 out six. So like you, you tell that old timer and he's like, he could, you know, pick off a buck on the run at you know, 300 yards with open sights. You're like, yeah, I don't think for him that guy is going to be a huge benefit. Maybe some, but you know, I, I you can't argue with the fact that these new age gun scopes, all these things are dialed. Like I know I've upgraded. I used to shoot, you know, old school rifles, and then you know now I'm pretty dialed on my gun and, and really confident. And you know, a bull I shot a couple of years ago, I slipped into like 420 yards, and I was like, this feels like cheating. Like I'm not even close to this thing, and it's like you know it's a chip shot too. So like you know if you didn't have that and you had to get to 200 and you are going to screw it up, you know, like the, the, the little things do make a difference for sure. You know, and you and I have talked a lot about boots cause you've been kind of searching for boots and what to get, you know, and I don't know when I was, <laughs> God, I sound like an old man when I was your age, like I just had like <laughs> okay. tennis shoes and like garbage boots and stuff like that. And like, I, I don't know, like my neck injury kind of makes me have to have a little bit nicer stuff, but at the same time, like, you know, does, a does a 600 pound or 600 pounds, 600 dollar pack, you know, help you kill big elk? Not technically, you know, it's more comfortable and you may feel more confident and you have the, and maybe it'll change your mindset and things like that. But is it actually going to kill big elk? No, probably not. But there's so many mental, mental things that go into it, you know, are having $500 boots going to make the difference in my opinion, probably not. But at the same time, you know, if it, it adds the 1% and you can afford it, great, go for it. You know, maybe you, you know, the confidence that it adds is the the level it takes. I don't know. What's your opinion on that kind of like high, high speed gear stuff? You're more of a gear guy than me anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I worked in the ski shop, um, in Eugene for college. And so like it was pounded in my head, the technology of the stuff that we were sending, like selling, so it was really easy for me to then start translating that to the high, the high speed kind of hunting gear. Um, cause like growing up, like, again, like I just used grandpa's 270, like, mm -hmm. and we ran around in our tennis shoes as well. And like, it, it's so funny because as soon as you start 
understanding that there's something better out there, like that's when you start realizing that, oh yeah. shit, like my, my foot is a little bit loose in this foot in the <laughs> shoe, you know, like, yeah. oh man, I do have a little bit of a blister on my heel, you know? Well, you never um, notice bad gear until you put on good gear and then go back and you're like, what the hell is this? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So, and I, Hayden hates me for this cause, uh, my buddy Hayden still runs like a leather belt underneath his pack yeah. and I'm like, here try one of my fabric belts you know like just like the cinch type fabric belt and he's like oh dude you ruined me i have to get a new belt and he's like <laughs> i would have never thought i needed a new belt until i like tried on something that wasn't bulky you know and it's just that thing that i think when you talk about your mental um state like like that kind of thing when you're looking at gear so much and understanding like the technology it makes you think that inferior technology is what's going to hold you back yeah, I do think like people use it as a crutch um, more than they should. And but at the same time, like I truly believe that uh, God, what's the term? Uh, God damn it. What's the imaginary drug term like placebo, the placebo effect? Yeah. So I truly believe that placebo is the strongest drug in the world. And so like if you think of the you know gun or the boots or whatever is like that makes you a killer go for it. Like go kill, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, so like the placebo effect is real, like, and it works with gear too. Like if, man, if you feel like a million bucks and you go stomping out there like a stormtrooper, go, go for it. Like, yeah, whatever gets you, <laughs> whatever keeps you out there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, okay. You and I were talking about this earlier. Cause like speaking about gear and boots and stuff, like, um, what is your opinion on, on like when it comes to actual technical opinion about the boots that are available right now? <laughs> uh, man, that's a tough call. Cause, okay. And you know this cause you've seen a lot of the DMS and I get this question, um, frequently like what boots, blah, blah, blah. And man, like I struggle. Like I have destroyed some boots. I'm hard on shit, but like I've destroyed boots and I have a real problem with like spending that much money on boots and I don't feel like they're worth it. So I bought a pair of boots that were, let's just call them $360 boots. Uh, I had those, I blew out a same pair of those. Yeah. And, uh, so I, yeah, destroyed them, uh, less than a year and was not impressed with the customer service return on those. Um, they basically told me, yeah, you ruined boots. Here's a number for a cobbler. Okay, cool. Well, I happened to go with the same company and I needed a light pair of boots. Like, and these boots were in town. So I just grabbed them and they're like a $289 boot. Now there's nothing wrong. Well, there is something wrong. Cause I blew them out bef- probably less than 50 miles, probably less than 25 miles, to be honest. Um, blew a stitch out, seam out, whatever. Um, and like, to me, it's like, man, you're going to spend $300 or $289 on a pair of boots. Like to me, they weren't any better than a hundred dollar pair of boots. And I, so I was telling you, I was like, man, I, cause I had a pair of Solomon's that kicked ass, like some Solomon GTXs that were awesome boots and I rocked them. And then you got a pair this year and destroyed them. So I don't know. I think boot manufacturers are all going downhill. I don't really know what to think anymore. Yeah, man. Well, and, and that's something that I was looking at, like as far as, okay, so this is some ski background stuff. Like we always said, you're just going to have to like search for the boot and try them on until you find, you know, the magic slipper. Right. And that is not very feasible for a lot of guys. Cause you know, you yeah. don't really, for some dudes, especially, um, you don't really know what your foot's going to do until you actually start beating on, on your feet on the hill. Yeah. Hey, and then your warranty's voided or you're spending $420 on a pair of boots. Right. That just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, I will say though, like, I think there's a lot of people that, uh, how do you put this lightly? There's a lot of people that don't need sheep country boots, you know, like they're buying high end boots, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that they need them. Yeah. I could definitely see that, especially if you're just coming out for a week or whatever. Um, one of the things that, so like Hayden and I always he he gives me a hard time because I'm kind of a gearhead and like we'll bug him about different sh- stuff that he's wearing. I'm like, dude, your pack is 12 pounds. Why are you <laughs> carrying a brick on your back? Yeah, you know. And, and if you're out there all the time and you make again, it's that whole mental thing of like 
I, you don't really care what you're running. It You don't know if it's going to be any worse or better. And like, you're going to have a great time without it. Yeah. So when guys look at like boots in particular and they're like, God, there's, you know, there's probably a better boot. Well, yeah, but you know, it, it's, it's not worth your time and effort to maybe find it. You never yeah. know. And you know, the waterproof thing is like a big thing for me. Um, I've lived through those days of like, uh, neoprene socks or whatever, like, you know, waterproof socks and just like, just admitting that I was going to be defeated for the entire week. Um, but you get a pair of night and this is one of those things that ruins you. Like you get a nice pair of boots and you, you kind of live that you're like, yeah, wet feet suck. I don't want to do that anymore. So there's something to be said for that. Uh, John, one of our other guys, he swears up and down by Under Armour boots. And he's like, you know, I destroy a pair every year, but they're like hundred, 150 bucks. It's, you know, I completely fine doing that. Cause he's like, I can destroy Kenetrex in two years or whatever. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's a matter of like, yeah, it's almost like a disposable cost. So I, I don't know, like he swears up and down, but I, I think it goes back to that ski thing where it's like, you just got to find that perfect fit. Uh, one of my buddies runs, uh, you might know the name. It was like a Zool or a Zool or something like that. You heard of those? It's not like, it's not like Zamberlin or no, it's like A-Z-O-L. Oh, I've seen them. I don't, I don't know anything about them in particular. He swears um, by those. Huh? Well, and like Aaron Snyder talks about like the Hanbogs, you know, with, mm. you know, some obscure backpacking company out of, um, out of Europe, you know, and it's just gonna, you, like, it just takes some time to, I think, figure it out. And I think for guys who are coming out West for a week, or you know maybe a solo. Not even... I was way off on that, by the way. Azul is like okay. yeah, A S O L. I was like, that's blue. I don't know. A S O L O. Yeah, yeah. See, these are like 198 bucks. The thing is, though. Okay, so my favorite thing is to tell my grandpa how much I spend on shit, and and he will just lose his top. I told him how much I was trying to buy a backpack for, and he's like, "Jesus Christ, I'll make you one for half that." Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I think it just comes back to that whole thing of like, if you have the disposable income, uh, and you're putting so much investment in like a week long trip, or maybe even two week long trips a year. Yeah. 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 You know, maybe it makes sense to do that. Um, but there's a lot of guys that will argue with you and say, like, as far as boots, like, don't you know, spend $2,000 on a hunt and then have it ruined with a shitty pair of boots, which has happened it. Like, you know, like I've had blisters. Fortunately, I can't feel pain on my foot. So like, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, hey, it could have ruined it. <laughs> well, that's one thing that I think a lot of people don't also understand is like how to take care of themselves when something is going south. You know, like, like oftentimes I feel like folks aren't, I don't know if you do this or not, but I have always just taken my shoes out middle of the day, especially if you're like hunting elk or whatever. Um, and, uh, take your, your everything out and keep it from building any hot spots or, or moleskin up over hot spots that are building. Um, same with like clothing. If you've got something wet, like be sure to do like a rewarming type drill to try to dry it off or like just like understanding how to work with your body and your gear to make it um, more comfortable. Yeah. Another thing is like, just have another pair of boots at the truck. Like I don't care if they're crappy hundred dollar yeah. boots, just have another pair because it may, they may not be comfortable, but they also may not rub in the same hot spot. And so that can be huge. Like, you know, start to get a hot spot and you're like, ah, oh, I got to switch out to my old boots. You know, I don't even care if they're like not waterproof. Uh, you know, maybe that's the thing is like, you know, I always hold on to my old boots. Don't throw them away. I just keep them as backups or something because you never know. Like, I like, I like the boots I trust. And, and actually another good thing to think about is like people should get their boots now. Like I need to get a new pair right now because they need to get broken mm -hmm. before season. Cause the last thing you want is like the week before season trying to break in boots. That's the, that's just asking for trouble. Oh Yeah. Well, that's why, that's why I, I just got a new pair today. And that was the reason is because I saw those Solomons that were, they were going to hell in a handbasket like really fast. And I was like, these are literally going to be in shambles midway through the summer when I need them the most, Yeah, you know? And I was like, that, that you can't do that. Well, I want to see how you run or how your Kenetrex do. Uh, if you don't destroy them in the first year, I might buy a pair of those. We'll see. Okay. 
But I heard I heard Schnee's was coming out with a new one too. It's like some prototype thing. So, ooh, that could be good too. I put four point three miles on them this afternoon, and they were. I thought that my feet were going to get chewed up just because they have like a. They're known for being difficult to break in, and I'd have zero blisters. So that's good. funny because my buddy Pat will tell you that like he he will only buy Kinetrex because it's the only boot that's like doesn't give him blisters from day one he could he could say he could buy a brand new pair and head up the mountain and never get a blister uh, yeah they even have a thing on their website and i'm sure like other companies that make a full leather boot with a rubber brand have the same issues of guys who will put their foot in there and it doesn't fit exactly right and they have to break it in you know in like mm-hmm. 50 miles I don't know if that, that doesn't seem to be the case for my foot type, but again, it's just, you're looking for Cinderella slipper. <laughs> so cheesy. It's uh, awesome. Uh, all right, man. Yeah. Anything else? There- yeah, man. I think, um, I, it, I think we've pretty much covered everything, you know, from that two Oh one level that we've needed to. I feel like we should, I should put more weight on your shoulders by like making, uh, some version of like, if you don't feel your elk tag, you have to do something. I'll do that. Um, come up with something and I will tentatively agree to it. Uh, all right, Jaden. Well, appreciate it, buddy. And, yep. uh, expect big things. All right. We'll talk to you later. Hey guys, thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show and maybe even picked up a few tips along the way. Join us right here every Thursday morning for more interviews and great hunting tips. And be sure to help us out by leaving a review on iTunes. For more information about this show and the rest of our guests, check out the show notes for links and additional resources on our website, www.therichoutdoors.net.